And if we could open our Bibles back up to Psalm 19, if you don't have a Bible, you can probably find one in the seat back in front of you, and it will be page 390 in that Bible. If you could also pull out of your bulletin a little sheet which has a picture of a hand on it. We're going to take a look at that. That hand, I think, was developed by the navigators, and it's a way to help us remember and think about the different ways that we can connect with and um, get into the scriptures. Um, It's five ways that we can benefit from God's word. The first one is hearing, um, listening to sermons, hearing God's word read, which is easy these days on CD and MP3. You can even get videos with whole books of the Bible now. The second one is reading God's word. The third is studying it. The fourth is memorizing it. And the fifth is meditating on it. And I commend this hand to you as a a good reminder of various ways that we can dig into God's word. But I realize also in giving you something like this that we have to be realistic. And I want you to know that I know some of the questions that you may be asking yourself as you hear the pastor encouraging you to spend more time in God's word. Questions like, why should we take time to listen to this book? Why should we listen to the Bible when for less than $100 a month we have unlimited calling, high-speed internet, and more than 200 all-digital channels? And how can God's Word compete with Conan when he's up there on TV every night in a blimp plugging his show? At least if you've been watching the playoffs, you've seen that. And why should we read this book? Why should we read the Bible when there are so many other good things to read, so many good Christian things to read, books, blogs, uh, magazines, newspapers? And with our new Kindle or our Nook, we can download them now for a few dollars. Why should we study this book? Why should we study this book when all of our friends are on Facebook? Why should we memorize the Bible? Why should we memorize this book when there are so many other things that we've got to do? Sports teams, music lessons, scouting troops, math tutoring, science clubs, dance, drama. We don't want to squander our kids' talents and all the other families are doing these things and if we don't do them too, our kids aren't going to get the edge. Why should we meditate on this book? Why should we meditate on the Bible when it's not easy to understand? I mean, Paul's letters are so dense. The Old Testament law is so boring. The prophets are so confusing. The the culture, the wording of the Bible is so foreign. And the interesting Bible stories, well, we've heard them all so many times already. And so I realize that the truth is that for many of us at CBC, at Community Bible Church, this morning may be one of the few times each week that we open this book for more time than it takes to read the back of a cereal box or send a text message. And if this is true for us and it remains true for us on an ongoing basis, then do you know what that means? It means more than likely that to go by the label Christian may be false advertising. Because we may be religious, but we may barely know Christ, who he was, 
what he stood for, why he really came, what he has in store for the world, and what he wants to say to us and how he wants to guide us this week and this year. It may mean that we call ourselves Christians, but our beliefs may be closer to those of our political party or to our parents, even our Christian parents, or to our teachers and professors, or to our friends or colleagues, then our beliefs are close to actually what God has taught us in this book. It may mean that we call ourselves Christians, but we live our lives largely untouched by God's grace, that we're still dogged by guilt and by past regret, that we're crippled by insecurity that we can't seem to overcome, that we're paralyzed by our painful past, that we are bound up by resentment and unforgiveness. It may mean that we talk about knowing God and growing together and showing Christ. That's a summary of our mission as a church. But that if we spend so little time in this book, that will never really happen. We may talk about it, but it will never really happen. The amazing things that God is doing in the world will pass us by because we're out of step with them. We're out of tune with them. We're basically clueless about them. Well, if that's at all true of us, then Psalm 19, the psalm we're looking at this morning, may seem like a very strange psalm to us. Because this psalm is written by an all-out, over-the-top fan of the Bible. I couldn't resist this image from the cover of Christianity Today a few months back. What are you a fan of? What are you this passionate about? Some of us aren't this passionate about anything. (laughs) I love the Pittsburgh Steelers, but I'm not that passionate about them. Well, David, who wrote this psalm, is this passionate about the Bible. Let's see if any of his passion can rub onto us as we take a look at this psalm this morning. Psalm 19 is a a wisdom psalm. It's a reflection, a, a meditation on the ways that God reveals himself to us. In the first section of the psalm, verses 1 to 6, we read the first couple verses this morning, David reflects on the awesome ways that God has revealed himself to us through his creation. Then in the second section of the psalm, verses 7 to 11, David reflects on the even more perfect way that God has revealed himself to us through the Bible. Now for David, he was specifically thinking about the first five books of that Bible, but by extension, we now have more of that book and we can... Think of it in terms of the whole book. The third section then, verses 12 to 14, David responds personally to God in light of the revelation that he finds in God's word. And because of our limited time, we're going to focus on the second section, verses 7 to 11. In that section, David reflects, or sorry, refers to six different facets of God's word through which God reveals himself. The law of the Lord, the statutes, the precepts, the commands, the fear of the Lord, the ordinances of the Lord. Now, it's not so much that these six are each different slices of the Bible or different types of verses which we might find in the Bible. It's more like they're all talking about the same thing in different ways. They're all facets of one diamond 
And as you turn the diamond, as David turns the diamond in this psalm, each facet in turn sparkles in the light, giving you a different nuance of the exquisite whole. Let's take a look. The law of the Lord, verse 7. This is the Torah, and it refers to God revealing his teaching. It refers to God's instruction that he's given to us through Scripture. That's what Torah means. And David adds that his instruction, God's instruction, is perfect. The statutes of the Lord, verse 7b, refer to God's true testimony, certifying that his words are trustworthy. They're true. You can count on them. You can bank on them. The precepts of the Lord, verse 8, refer to God's specific detailed regulations to be followed by his covenant people. And David contends that these details are all right. They're right. They're correct. The commandments of the Lord, verse 8b, refer to God's authoritative commands. And God call, or David calls them, of all things, radiant commands. The fear of the Lord, verse 9, refers to our right response to all of this, which David says is to be pure. And then lastly, the ordinances of the Lord, verse 9b, refer to God's decisions as judge regarding how we're to live in various situations. Much like courts decide cases, and those legal decisions serve then as precedents for the deciding of future cases. So God has given us his past decisions and David says that they're sure and they're righteous to guide us in the present. What's found in this book then is God's gifts to teach us perfectly how to live, to give us true knowledge that we can trust and specific instructions to live by which are right in every detail, to command us as king with radiant commands, to hand us precedents as a good judge, precedents which are sure and which are righteous guides for how we're to handle the various situations of life. All so that we can have a pure fear and reverence for the one who has made us and has saved us. The psalmist then reflects further on what this word of God is like. And, and to his six descriptions of God's word, the psalmist adds five results which God's word accomplishes in us. As the Apostle Paul had um, reminded us in 2 Timothy, the word of God is living and active. And so the psalmist adds that God's word refreshes the soul. It, it makes the simple wise. It gives joy to the heart. It gives light to the eyes so that the fear of the Lord will endure forever or perhaps that those who fear the Lord will endure forever. Now you can just tell from the devotion and the delight of this psalm that this isn't just theory for the psalmist, but rather David has actually experienced the word of God to be this way. And David has come to God's word in the past with a weary and dried out soul, and he's been refreshed. David has seen simple people grow wise through spending time in this book. David has come away from time in this book feeling his heart swell with joy and, and his eyes brighten with hope. Have you ever experienced this? 
like David has. I have. Over the years, I've gone away to retreats or conferences where there was good Bible teaching or even to a seminary course on a book of the Bible. And when I arrived, I, I was sometimes discouraged. I was dry. I was brokenhearted. But by the time that the conference ended, the, the, the time in God's Word ended, I had renewed conviction. I felt full of God's love. I was bursting with hope. I was overflowing with gratitude and awe at God and what He had done for me. The Word of the Lord refreshes the soul. I also remember a friend of mine in college who wasn't a Christian and she was a very passionate person. She was almost reckless in her passion. And it seemed just about every other weekend there was a story about the trouble that she got herself into. Often breaking her own heart along the way. Well, eventually she came to Christ and she started feasting on this book. And over the years, God has channeled her passion into work as a teacher with disadvantaged kids. And into her calling as a mother to her four children. And now she's grown mature and she's grown wise. God's word makes wise the simple. I also remember back when I was in my 20s, the pastor of the church I attended at that time challenged all of us to read the book of Ephesians every day for a month. And I took up the challenge and at first it was a slog. I mean, it was so dense and it was so many overwhelming ideas to take in. And day after day, as I, I persevered, it, it got boring and it got tedious. And, and I wondered, what was I supposed to get from it? Then one day, maybe it was day 15 or 20, the book just came alive for me. It, it was one of those God moments. And, and I still remember where I was. I was sitting on the little balcony of my apartment at the time. And as I read Ephesians 3, it was like the heavens opened. And I was flooded with this overwhelming sense of God's grace for me. Of how far I was from God and how far He had come to, to find me and to bring me close. God was with me. I knew it. God, God loved me. The Word of the Lord gives joy to the heart. The Word of the Lord gives light to the eyes. Have you ever experienced any of these things? I can't promise that it always works this way. That the Word of God will always give you a guaranteed spiritual buzz within 30 days or your money back. But rather, I've heard the Bible very well described as being like an onion. It, it can be dry and crusty on the outside, but, but as you dig into it, as you peel back the layers, it gets juicier and juicier. In fact, by the time you get to the middle, it might even make you cry. So the psalmist concludes in verse 10. God's words are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. Why? Well, verse 11, God's words warn us when we go astray. They keep us out of trouble. And when we follow them, we find great reward, the psalmist says. So let me ask us, we sing this kind of things in our songs. We sing that God's word is honey to our lips, that it's more precious than gold. 
But do we really believe it? Do we really believe it? Do we treasure God's word more than pure gold? Do we treasure it even more than than our smartphones, than our flat screens, than our concert tickets, than our college acceptance letters? Have we developed a taste for the word so that it's sweeter than honey or yummier than our favorite flavor of ice cream? Do we read this psalm and say, Amen, yes, I'm a fan of God's word too. Right on. Or do we hear those words and think if we're honest that they sound kind of strange? Next slide. Kind of fanatical. Kind of far off from our own experience. If so, then maybe, just maybe, we're missing out on all the fun. This kind of reminds me of that famous book about Sam I Am and Green Eggs and Ham. You know the story, right? Sam I Am tries and tries to get the other guy to taste Green Eggs and Ham. And and the guy just won't do it, will he? He won't do it in a box or with a fox or in a boat or with a goat. But but then at the end of the story, he finally does. And and he realizes how good green eggs and ham are. And you, you wonder as you're reading it or reading it to your kids or your grandkids, why did he wait so long to try it? That's what David is trying to get across in this psalm. He's trying to entice us. He's trying to allure us. He's saying, you think you've got better, more interesting things to do, but you don't know what you're missing. Maybe you never knew. Maybe you've forgotten. Sure, like an onion, it may seem crusty at first. It may be some effort to peel back those layers. But beneath that dryness is the most precious, the most delicious, the most wise and life-giving and refreshing and strengthening and radical in a wonderful way, thing available. So if you don't open up this book, if you don't listen to it, if you don't read it, if you don't study it and memorize it and meditate on it, you're missing out on God, the wonderful living God who reveals himself, who actually reveals himself to us through this book, through his words.